Hi, this is Annie from the Smithsonian American Art Museum's Loose Foundation Center. Since 2011, we've hosted Loose Unplugged, a free monthly concert series that celebrates the work of local musicians. Now we're partnering with Hometown Sounds to bring you tracks from DC artists we love. For more on Loose Unplugged, visit americanart.si.edu slash loose slash unplugged. There you'll find a complete list of Loose Unplugged artists, videos of past performances, and artist interviews on our blog, iLevel. We look forward to welcoming you back to the museum once it's safe to hold concerts again. Until then, stay well, stay in touch, and enjoy these tunes from our neighbors in the DMV. Hi, I'm Amy Dominguez. And I'm Dennis Kane. And this is the Loose Listening Party. Presented by Hometown Sounds.
Hey, welcome back to Hometown Sounds. We show you how DC rocks. I'm Tony Pareco. And I'm Paul Vodra. And this is the Loose Listening Party, where we interview bands that we would have featured at the Loose Unplugged series in the Loose Center, the Loose Foundation Center in the Smithsonian American Art Museum. And this week we are featuring Amy Dominguez and Dennis Kane. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. We're happy to be here. Uh, that song was a very, very beautiful way to start the show. That was Rough Magic Part 2 from the Rough Magic album that came out in 2019. It is, of course, available to purchase on their Bandcamp page. A link will be in the show notes. So um, let me start by just asking you guys for um, some little you know, intros about yourselves uh, musically, uh, what other uh, projects you've been involved with, uh, and, and whatever else you want to share. I'm Amy Dominguez, and I, um, I guess I've been playing cello and bass and singing um, with a bunch of bands in the D.C. area since about 1995. Mostly my my own songs and playing with friends in in my band, which is called Garland of Hours, and guesting and doing lots of session work um, with a lot of other bands, some here in D.C. and some in other places. I've played some with my friend Mary Timoney. I played on her second solo album, The Golden Dove, and we've done some collaborating in my band. I played with Benji Faree for a couple years um, when he was living in D.C. And I guess one of the earliest bands I was in was Telegraph Melts, which was a guitar and amplified cello experimental duo with uh, my friend Bob Massey. And around that same time, I was also playing in the, the tail end incarnation of Tsunami, which was a band that my friends Jenny Toomey and, and Kristen Thompson had. <laughs> so um, I'll turn it over to Dennis. Well, I've been playing in bands that you've never heard of for a really long time. I think, uh, well, I guess Amy and I met while I was doing sound at Black Cat. Yeah. And I did sound there for, I don't know how long. Around seven years? Yeah, too long, not long enough. I just looked at your LinkedIn, by the way. Oh, God, LinkedIn. Jesus. <laughs> All right, I'm taking that thing down as soon as we're done here. No, uh, yeah, and I've, uh, you know, I've recorded bands, as previously mentioned, Benji. I worked with Benji on his record. I worked with X-Hex on some of their stuff. Yeah, lots of, lots of DC acts. Some of the stuff uh, I really remember <laughs> were uh, Sounds of Kaleidoscope. That was a great record that I worked on. Amy, you played on that one, too. Yeah, I did. That's the thing, like, uh, Amy and I have have just sort of bumped into each other over the years. Uh, so, you know, it's a tight, it's a tight town, you know, so it was sort of inevitable. But now I, I play in, well, I am The Hunted Hair. It's a solo project, which is all guitar based. Before that, I was doing a, an experimental, like, synth ambient thing called Red Spells Red. And uh, yeah playing guitar and um, putting out records. And that's what I do these days. That's, that's amazing. I, I feel like the two of you are, are both like, like essential facets of, of DC music 
that may go a little bit under the radar, but that like you just keep popping up in various places. You know, you need this particular guitar recording, you need this cello or something, and and you've just been popping up everywhere for forever, which is amazing. How did you two end up collaborating together on the Dominguez and Kane records? Melissa and I had stopped by your place and you played some uh, gamba for me. And I was like, oh my God, we got to do something together. Yeah. So I think that was 2014, maybe. Yeah. And it just kind of fell together. It started off, I was just doing uh, synth stuff because I was was still kind of anti-guitar at that point. And then slowly, I just wanted to drop the synth stuff and go back to guitar. And um, so the first record is really, uh, as it says on the tin, uh, a synthesis of, you know, electronics and and the gamba. And then the next record is more of a guitar and gamba thing. But yeah, so 2014, something like that is when we started off. Yeah. And Amy, can you tell us a little bit more about your instrument in this project? So I had always wanted to learn this instrument, the viola da gamba, and I'd known about it since the mid 90s. So basically the viola da gamba is an instrument that has either six or seven strings and it has frets. And at first glance, a lot of people think like, oh, it's a cello with frets, but it's not really, it's like a bowed guitar. And it was really popular, incredibly popular from the 16th through the 18th centuries. And tons of composers wrote music for it. It was just so much music out there for it. But when concert halls started being built and opera became popular, composers stopped writing for it because the violin family of instruments was louder. And of course, when once you have big halls, you can't have these quiet, bowed, fretted instruments like the gamba and the lute because they don't project. So it composers gradually stopped writing for it and it fell out of fashion and people stopped playing it. But anyway, there's this this really amazing French film called Tous les Matins du Monde. Gérard Depardieu is in it and and plays this composer, French Baroque composer. But it's this movie all about the viola de gamba at the height of its glory in France. And I saw that film when when it came out and I was like, this instrument is incredible because the soundtrack was was spectacular. It was Jordi Saval, who's a, a really fantastic gamba player. So I was like, I'm going to learn that someday. But meanwhile, I was playing in bands and my undergrad degree was in cello performance. So I'm classically trained, but I fell into playing with bands and kind of enjoyed the freedom of that more than doing symphony auditions and stuff. And so I had kind of turned my back on the classical music world and was fully entrenched just doing session work and and touring with bands for a while. And then um, around 2008, I was like, oh, time is flying by. I I always wanted to learn this instrument. Yeah, so I, I found a wonderful teacher, Tina Chansey, She's a fantastic gombo player, and I started taking lessons with her. I did a master's degree at, at Peabody Conservatory because that was the closest school that had an early music degree. And so I kind of had to clamp down on my band activities during that time because I just wanted to fully focus on learning this instrument. But um, 
I finished my degree there and um, started playing with some early music groups, which early music or historical performances is is a, it's a subset of classical music and it's it's a lot less rigid. There's a lot more improvisation. I don't think I knew that about this era of music. Really, it, it's very improvisatory. Yeah. Yeah, there's, um, you know, Renaissance, Renaissance and Baroque music, a lot of it, there's just so much room for interpretation by the performer. You have ornaments, which are basically improvised decorations. In some ways, it's, it's just, it's similar to jazz. There's a lot more freedom in it. And that has been really appealing to me because what I never really clicked with the mainstream classical stuff was just because it's really rigid and there's not really room for a lot of creative expression in it. So it kind of makes sense for me, I think, to have found this instrument. And I think it it makes sense coming from a perspective of being a, a member of these bands and that a lot of playing, you know, in rock bands and, and other assorted bands is improvisational as well. So I can see how those those connected, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Amy's a rare uh, find, you know, in a classically trained uh, musician who can improvise and rock because it just doesn't happen normally. You know, a lot of classically trained musicians just can't improvise. You know, they just don't know where to where to begin. So, uh, you know, Amy's a she's a a double threat. I hope I'm not threatening. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> threatening in the best way possible. Amy. So your most recent release, Rough Magic, how did that album come together? What does the, the name Rough Magic mean to you guys? Well, you came up with the name, Amy. I think it's always hard to put a label on instrumental music or, you know, for for me, our music is very much sonic images and then when you try to attach words to it words are kind of insufficient but yeah i i think that phrase just came to me as being a phrase of an adjective of some sort of supernatural origin but having an unpolished feeling to it i guess I think it's time to hear another Dominguez and Kane song. We're going to hear a song from your first album you put out back in 2016 called Gut and Voltage. And the song we're going to hear is called Evergreen.
That track was called Evergreen by Dominguez and Kane, and it's from their 2016 album Gut and Voltage, Viola da Gamba and Electronics in Synthesis. Uh, there's very much, I'd say, a haunting quality to Dominguez and Kane's music. And I want to ask each of you, if you were a ghost, where would you haunt? <laughs> um yeah that 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 is a very very exciting question i think i'd have to really put you know it's not something i could be flippant about i'd have to really yeah yeah you don't want to be flippant you're thoughtful about your ghosts yeah <laughs> uh so um if i were if i were going to be a quiet ghost you know, like just kind of behind the scenes, I would probably want to be in a nice um, studio with uh, an SSL board or a Neve board and just just kind of float in there and just listen to what's coming through and maybe influence it a little bit. That's what I would do. So you wouldn't you wouldn't ride the faders as a ghost? Oh, from the inside. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. I would influence music for years and years. <laughs> Man. Um, do you guys have any, any memorable gigs that you did as a duo? Um, I remember that I was lucky enough to see you play at the uh, MLK Library back in 2016 for the Friday lunchtime gig that uh, Jim Thompson put on. Oh, and yeah. I, I worked right around the corner. It was really great to just pop over and hear some amazing music and then head right back to work and finish the work day. Yeah. That was a memorable gig, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was one of our better live performances. I mean, we, we actually don't perform live that often um, just because the setup is so weird. Um, So we're very picky and also because our dynamic is, is, you know, yeah, like we couldn't, we can't play like clubs or bars, you know, it has to be a quieter place. And uh, MLK was nice though, because it was so huge and, you know, the acoustics were nice and it, it really let, really let the sound develop in a way that I thought sounded pretty good. So yeah, that was a pretty memorable show. A question actually for you, Amy, related to live performances of Dominguez and Kane. I watched a video of you perform at a so far sounds show in 2016. Amy, in the video, you have a music stand in front of you. Do you notate your own compositions and then play from those charts when Dominguez and Kane performs live? I do, but it's never exactly the, the notations I have are kind of like roadmaps, but it's never exactly the same as it is in the recording or live performance to live performance. So I, I do play with a music stand <laughs> and from, from sheet music. Mm-hmm. That's real cool. I uh, just watched the video and was like, what she got on that stand? <laughs> just reading a book. Yeah, it's for when I get bored. It's for when Dennis starts doing his solos. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have a magazine for when Amy tunes, so. Ouch. <laughs> well, let's let's hear another song. We're going to go back into the archives of Amy's uh, music from the 90s. This is a song by Telegraph Melts. 
That song was called Indigo Azure Cyan by Telegraph Melts from their 1998 album, Ilium. And that is one of Amy's original bands from back in the 90s. I, I think that that definitely, like, it didn't, it didn't sound exactly like a lot of music in the 90s, but the, the guitar definitely reminded me of, of some 90s music uh, in a really good way. Uh, it is not currently on Bandcamp. You can purchase or stream it through uh, any of the major outlets. Amy, what can you tell us about being in this really awesomely named band in the 90s? Well, it was it was a project with, with my friend Bob Massey. And the two of us actually were, were also side musicians in this, this big tour that we did with Tsunami, the band that I was in, 97, 98. We did like this six-week U.S. tour. It was the first time I had done a big tour. And yeah, it was like six weeks. It was pretty amazing. But yeah, so so we played, we we did short opening sets every night. So it was it was great. We we got to um, play our music. And yeah, we started as a duo. And then later, Devin Ocampo joined on on drums and percussion. But it was it was a great collaboration. Yeah, someone else requested that, that we put it we put it on Bandcamp. We probably should. I need to talk to Bob about that. Yeah, I, lo- I love it when when the old stuff that I sort of remember from back in the day pops back up on Bandcamp, and it's just, I don't know, it's just exciting to see that people are still excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I just put the Garland of Hours discography up there, and Bandcamp did a little feature on it. I saw that. Oh, I know. I've just been blown away. And it's it's just so nice to kind of have a new audience for this music that hasn't been really available rather than just on CDs and physical copies. <laughs> I think since we've mentioned it, we have to hear a little bit of your, your other band from the 2000s. So let's hear a song from Garland of Hours. Yeah. 
That was Garland of Hours with a track called Dear Henry. Uh, Amy, who is Henry? Um, this is my go at, at writing a, a murder ballad. So I basically, I just, I just based it on like the old Appalachian murder ballad genre. Henry is just a generic name for, for a, a man who's up to no good. That was the leadoff song from The Soundest Serum, uh, the Garland of Hours album that came out in 2007. It is available to purchase digitally or on CD through Bandcamp. And the song features vocals from Amy and also guitar from one of DC's secret weapons, Mary Timoney. Yeah, it sure does. And I believe that uh, you have something, uh, a collaboration with Mary Timoney coming out very soon in a couple of weeks. Is that right? Yeah, actually, if I can plug it now, it's um, Matador Records has reissued her fantastic first solo record. It's called Mountains. That was a, a big influence on me. Mary and I have been collaborating with each other for about 20 years now. Yeah, so we performed, well, Brendan Canty filmed a live performance um, at St. Mark's Episcopal on Capitol Hill. We were supposed to do it on January 6th, but, you know, we all know what happened on January 6th. So it was rescheduled for two days later, and and we um, we all got COVID tested and stayed apart during the filming, but um, it's a great band. And so it's just a live performance of songs. I, I can't wait to watch that, and I hope many, many people listening to this podcast will as well. So, Dennis... You have been making some music during this time of lockdown. I believe that you have put out five albums. Is that correct? Yeah, I I just got on a really good uh, writing trip uh, starting back in 2019, and I I was gonna you know like sit on sit on this stuff and just do like you know a couple of records or whatever, and then I was like, no, I'll just do some EPs and just do them like quarterly, you know, and that way I can kind of mix them and finish them off and you know, be ready for the next one. So it's been, you know, it's been great to, uh, you know, to have that to do. I haven't been, you know, I mean, I haven't even thought about doing any live stuff. I'm so glad I don't have to do live sound because I wouldn't be working at all. But in between uh, working and writing this stuff, I've been mastering and mixing records here and there. So, you know, it's just good to, good to kind of like keep busy. And, and so, you know, writing five EPs worth and a couple more coming, by the way, uh, has been good for my brain, you know, during all this. He's unstoppable. I am unstoppable. Don't even try. <laughs> Please no one stop him. Let's hear a song from the most recent EP that you've released from Attrition. This song is called Continent. <laughs>
That was The Hunted Hair with a track called Continent. It's the leadoff track from Attrition, the eighth and latest album by Dennis Kane's solo moniker, The Hunted Hair. Uh, Dennis, so Dominguez and Kane has two pieces entitled The Hunted Hair, parts one and two, and The Hunted Hair is the name of this solo project. Can you explain what Paul, Paul and I love learning about? The origins of band names. Can you explain what the hunted hair refers to and its importance to you? Uh, sure. Um, and I took the name from from the song titles. And it's uh, there's an old uh, folk tale about uh, it's a hunted hair. A hair is is uh, you know it's it's a, a metaphor for or an allegory for you know s- spring and youth. And and I thought well it's kind of a you know, this project was a rebirth for me in so many different ways. Um, it was a change in my life that I, I felt that the name was kind of appropriate. So, you know, it's a lot of rebirth symbolism. And I think that when I was, when I brought that title to those pieces with, uh, Amy and I, I just figured, um, well, you know, it's, it, it was something that kind of meant a lot to me. And, uh, and I thought, well, make a good name for what I'm doing now. I must say I'm I'm a very big fan of listening to your music while working. Oh, uh, I think it's it's excellent music to help focus um and just, you know, sort of fill the room with beautiful vibes. Is that do you ever think about the listening conditions of the music that you create for the listeners and what you're what you're thinking of with that? Not physical spaces, mostly mental spaces. Um I I guess I kind of feel that without, you know, try and try not to sound too like, you know, new agey, but there's a healing quality to music and I know that it, it works for me. And so I try to put these kind of vibes in and maybe it's something that, you know, people feel comfortable putting it on and maybe not listening to directly, but it influences, you know, like you said, like, you know, maybe focusing or relaxing or whatever. I'm, I'm not, I'm not adverse to, you know, having my music um, described as relaxing. I don't really feel the need to rock people so hard these days. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I just kind of feel like um, that's that's great. You know, if uh, if it if it puts you in any kind of state of mind, then then I'm I'm doing all right. So, as much as you guys are are thinking about it and and maybe have any idea. What does the future hold for both you together and in your solo works? Oh, the future. Who knows what the future is like <laughs> right now? Yeah, I mean, our our timeline for for this project has been very much it it falls into place when we both have time to do it. We're both busy with nor in normal times. We we've been juggling other projects and work. I don't think I mentioned yet, but the other part of my job, besides being a performing musician, which is not really happening right now, is I I teach music. I teach cello and viola da gamba and even a couple of my friends' kids. I teach piano too. So I feel really lucky to have a stable source of income while this is happening. And I really enjoy teaching, but that takes a certain amount of time and um it's it's hard when when it's not easy to to get together have you done any remote lessons oh that's all i do 
I've been doing remote lessons since March 15th of last year. And I have about 20 students that I see every week. And I teach over a couple different platforms. For kids, mostly it's it's FaceTime. You know, either they're using their parents' phones or tablets or, you know. Um, and then um, also on Zoom and Skype um, for my adult students. And, and that's been a whole process of getting better technology. Um, I did take one of the fun things I did during this past year was I, I took a, an audio engineering class from Peabody. They have this series called Peabody Pro that's geared towards alumni. And the head of their engi- audio engineering program, Ed Tetro, was the, the teacher. He's fantastic. So I, in that respect, it's been, it's been a good time to learn some new skills and, and kind of beef up my own tech skills because I've certainly needed them. <laughs> you got to beef up. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, what do you have coming up in the near future? Oh, um, working on more uh, haunted hair stuff. I just put out attrition. That was oh, beginning of February. Um, and I've got a couple other things that I'm, uh, going to be putting out. And, uh, you know, I, I also do videos. So that's part of, part of the hunted hairs thing is that it, there's a video aspect to it too. So for every, for every record that I do, I, I do one video. In fact, you guys have debuted one or some of my videos before, which I'm eternally grateful for. We love doing that. Thank you so much for that. Really. Yeah. Yeah, so I uh, so I'm I'm also doing a video for this other uh, band that I'm uh, playing in uh, part time, and that's uh, Strange Boutique, which is uh, an old uh, DC band um, from back in the day. Their guitar player uh, died uh, a couple of years ago under awful circumstances, and they wanted to do a tribute show. And because I've known and played in bands with some of these people for years. Uh, they asked me to come on board. So, so I've been doing some recording with them and, um, and doing some video work for them and mixing and mastering people's stuff. So I keep busy, a lot of stuff coming up. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually been, you know, the, uh, as a, a bit of a homebody, uh, being stuck at home for a year hasn't been the worst thing for me. So, you know, I, I get a lot done. That's for sure. I think that just about takes us to the end of this episode of the Loose Listening Party. Uh, we want to thank the Loose Foundation Center inside the Smithsonian American Art Museum for sponsoring this. And we cannot wait to get back there and see and present some shows to everybody soon when it is safe. I want to thank Amy Dominguez and Dennis Kane one more time for coming on the show. You guys were amazing. Love your music and please, please keep up the awesome work and make more music for us all soon. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's been, it's, it's been really fun. We are going to go out on one last Dominguez and Kane song. We're going to go out with uh, another song from their most recent album, Rough Magic. Uh, the song is called Unseening. Thank you all so much. Of course, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Paul. And we will see you all next time.